P.S. I Love Hoffman is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Mmm. Brian, how do you like the cider we're having? It's quite scrumptious. We are drinking cider. I never thought of cider as scrumptious, but we are drinking cider. It's refreshing. It's a little creepy that you're talking to me in that accent. Why do we always get these movies where we have to we're forced to do these cheesy accents? I love doing accents. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is uh, what? How many Southern? This did this did this make you think of the yearling? A little, a little, but not really. But we what? are drinking cider. This is the. Is this only the second time? I know White Russians for Big Lebowski. There's we've been other times that like we've had alcohol, but not yeah. nothing crazy. We don't get too smashed. But this just happened. I I brought back a delightful cider from Vermont, which is in the happened. north. Which is in the north because the north won. <laughs> yes, they did. But today we'll be transporting you to the south. Iggy Pop! Amen! Let him ride! I'm a fucking idiot! Red meat, we crave sustenance. I'm an artist. Hello, my name is Jimmy Cody. Why don't you have some fun? Fun, fun. Tommy. Uh, that's a thing. Whoever she is, I'm gonna find her and I'm gonna hurt her. I've spent the past three years learning Finnish! <laughs> I'm always home, I'm on cool. This is a process of dehypnotization. Shut, 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 shut up! Hey, Hoff fans, welcome to this week's edition of the PSI Love Hoffman podcast, our love letter to the remarkable career of the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm Brian Rodriguez. And I'm Kyle Reinfried. We're always home, we're always uncool, we're always ready to talk great movies. Great movies, epic movies. Today we do have an epic. That's like the epic. This is the time like it came back. Like it came back in the nineties, right? Yeah, not with this film though. Certainly. No, I mean, this like, is two thousand three. Yeah, two thousand three. Oh, the film is Cold Mountain. Cold Mountain. Sorry, always, I always. Yeah, do we that. always. Sometimes we'll go ten minutes without saying the film. Yeah, we're just so excited to talk about it. I really enjoyed this movie. It's a it's a long movie. Two hours and thirty-four minutes. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 and, and it feels long too. It doesn't, as epics do. Yes. Is it like, oh, a quick watch? <laughs> do you think I, you know, I so after this was looking through the epics, and there's there's a loose like way of saying epics, you know, or categorizing epics, I should say, because today, like even more recent epics, this is two thousand three. I saw like some people including. Obviously, well, Star Wars started in 77, but they're saying, like, Star Wars Now is obviously including that. Some One person even said, like, 300. Like, 300 is not an epic to me. It derives from a time of epic tales. Yeah, like, like okay, I think epic probably comes from, like... Well, it came like, from, like, the Iliad and all but, that. No, but, like, the, yeah, the Latin, like, epoch. Like, yeah. ep- like an epoch. Like, <laughs> E-P-O-C-H. Like a time period. Mm-hmm. So it's not... But I don't think epics always have to take place in the past. No. But it just feels more epic-ish. Yeah, so like reading up on what epics, you know, tends to be like sprawling ensembles, beautiful scenery, like a lot of locations, the costumes play a big part of it. When I see epics, I also think there's a level of like melodrama involved. Yeah. Like to me, there's not really... Torn lovers. Comedy epics. No. There can be, I suppose, but that's Monty not what Python I, and the Holy Grail. <laughs> or like On the Road Again, Bob Hope things. Love On but the Road But does, does that feel like an epic to you? No. No, no. no, no. Like, I think epics. Mm. And they're, 
It's funny because some epics do really, really well and some epics do poorly. It seems like what people say the worst movies of all time, not necessarily worst movies of all time, but like the biggest disappointments of all time, box office-wise, have been epics like uh, Troy, Troy, for example. What was that other one? Kingdom of Heaven. Kingdom of Heaven, which is not that bad of a film. I suppose but- I never saw this version, but supposedly the director's cut is like really good. I think that's the version I saw, and it's not terrible. It's yeah. re- it's actually pretty good. Uh, what's the one with Pocahontas? Not Pocahontas. It has a, oh, a New World, I think it's yeah. called. Yeah, these are like epics. It's like that Colin Farrell. Col- right? Yeah, Colin, I was going to say Colin Firth. No, yeah. Colin Farrell. Uh, these are epics that did not do well. Yeah. There's, there's a bunch of them that come. Alexander I, is a good I one. I think. Not a good one. But so yeah. while going back and looking at the genre of epics... It, like I said, it kind of came back in the '90s. I think it really started with Dances Dances with Wolves, That's what, which won Best Picture over Goodfellas. You know what's? <laughs> <laughs> you know it's another epic of that era though that wasn't like Oscar-y, but it has a, a huge Oscar guy. Uh, Last of the Mohegans. Oh yeah, Daniel Day Lewis yeah. is the person I'm I referring the, to. I love the music. Oh, and but like I'm gonna get into it later. I mean, it's just in the beginning of the film. But I always tend to love like my favorite character is like the Native American character. <laughs> if it's like a small role, like in, in that in, well, in Wind Talkers. Well, I feel, and that should not have been as small as it was in that film. No, Native American role. But I feel like a lot of it, it they do have cool Native American roles. Like, from this era to nowadays? From, like, Dances with Wolves to nowadays? Even in Wonder Woman, they included, like, a Native American as part of, like, her... And I think it's, like, a feel-bad for all the Westerns. (laughs) Where, like, Native Americans just slaughtered. Because, honestly, we should feel bad with the Native Americans. Of course, yeah. They're the most special people in the world. Yeah, definitely, yeah. This, This film just, like shows the horrors on both sides. Actually, I I almost tend to say it shows, like, the, uh, like, Northerners in, like, uh, more... I mean, you got Ray Winstone as, like, our main antagonist, and he's from the South, but definitely doesn't show Union soldiers in, like, a... in a nice, you know, easy way. No. It just shows the horrors of war. Exactly. And at this point in the war, we're so late in the war... That nobody's happy. No, they just like there's that. It's not. It's. Not, I was gonna say an ongoing joke. Not an ongoing joke. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call this a joke <laughs> no, film. No, but there's the ongoing like that they say when the war starts. It's like, oh, we'll be back in a month, and then like later on the film, it's revisited, and, she's, and someone says, oh, it's gonna be over in a month, and she's like, that's what you said three years ago. Yeah. And, and just to be clear, we're talking about the Civil War. I don't know yes, if we said is, that yeah. yet. So Cold Mountain. Yeah, yeah, what's Cold Mountain about, Kyle? Tell us. Tell our Hoff fan audience. Well, here we go. In this Civil War epic, young love is torn apart by the ravages of war. It captures the horrors for both the fighting and those left behind at home. Both Inman, played by Jude Law, and Ada, played by Nicole Kidman, grow and change through the years and experiences while apart, but there's always hope that these sweethearts will reunite at Cold Mountain. Which is the town they're from. Yes, so there is a Cold Mountain, North Carolina. It's not a town. No. But there is, like, a mountain. But, you know, it's pretty interesting. This film was uh, filmed mostly in Romania. Yeah, I read that too. The Carpathian Mountains. You know where I hear the Carpathian thing from? Vigo the Carpathian is the (laughs) painting in Ghostbusters 2. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle, because I didn't do too much research on this film. Yes, I'm a very good host, I know. <laughs> but 
correct me if I'm wrong, they shot a lot in Romania and Eastern Europe because yeah. they said a- Appalachia, the sixth place in like Appalachian, North Carolina, that Appalachia now did not look as rustic as Eastern Europe does now in terms of like telephone poles and highways. Yeah, there's just and... way too much. I, I've I've driven through that area through like the Smoky Mountains and everything like that, and it's just pretty still know, beautiful but it's definitely beautiful 20, but 21st just, century but yeah i forget like this i forget what the budget ended up being for this movie but i i, I thought uh you know recently we uh had the episode with amos poe and we were talking some technical stuff so i thought this was appropriate and you'd appreciate this because I don't. uh <laughs> because of just again how long the movie was and it some people, I, I really enjoyed it. I could understand some people think it, like, drags, but again, that's just the way of the, like, the, you know, the epic tale. Epics just generally drag. Yeah. But, so this was shot in a 60 to 1 ratio, okay? So, like, widescreen is, like, 16-9 to give, like, anybody, like, a basic idea. But 60 Ooh, to fractions. 1. fractions. Wish I paid yeah. attention more. But a 60 to 1 Class. ratio. Which, but, so this is what that means. It means for every minute on screen, which again, this movie is two hours and 34 minutes, for every minute on screen, there's 60 minutes of footage. So times two hours and 34 Wait, minutes. Wait, how does that make sense? There's 60 minutes of footage for every minute? Yeah. That's crazy. Wow, that's a good fact. I do appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned... And this also spent, like, I just, like th- that was the whole thing. Like, when reading trivia, I just saw a lot of time-related stuff, which, again, for the epic, just makes, like, it just makes it, like, funnier that way. And so they spent five years on this film, one year alone used for editing. Like, I'm sorry, when I say they, the dir- I'm sorry, Anthony... Uh, yeah, I was going to say the director. M- Mingala. Anthony Mingala is the same director as... Talented Mr. Rip. Another Philip Seymour Hoffman film. Which we also get James Reborn in this movie for a slight second as yeah, a Yeah, slightly. Director. Yeah. And, of course, Jude Law. Yeah. So, so weird well, thing. He's probably, according to this, like an hour of footage, but it's only <laughs> <for> a minute. <laughs> so, weird thing, right? Okay, and so Law, yeah. he obviously, the director, and the director was heavily involved in this film, mm-hmm. worked super hard on this film for years. Yes. Yet, it surprised a lot of people. The budget was seventy nine million, which is a lot, but not crazy a lot. No, at one time it was like the budget was like being said that it was maybe going to be one hundred twenty five. So I don't know how they got under budget. That, no, that yeah. never happens. And they made one hundred seventy three million, and it was actually a sleeper hit and a surprise film of that. This was year. nominated for so many things. It was yeah, like nominated for Jude Law was nominated. Renee Zellweger won for Best Supporting Actress. And I'm saying when I say nominations, this is for the Oscars. Oscars, yes. We're not talking about BAFTAs or... Uh, or Golden Globes, either. Or MTV Movie but, Awards. But uh, nominated for Best Music, Kids Choice Score, <laughs> Editing, and Cinematography. That's a lot. That is a lot. That's six categories right there alone. And let me tell you one thing, and I know you'll appreciate this. So I read in you know trivia that... It won again for original best score, but then best original song. And there was two oh, songs. I'm sorry, nominated. Nomi- nominated. There was two yeah, songs. Two songs nominated. nominated. I like the, the music w- here. I don't know how you felt. Well, this it. whole movie is very. It's got a very music-driven feel to it. But I got really excited, and I even watched like when rewatching this, and uh, you can watch it on Amazon Prime, and. I I stayed throughout the, like left the whole credits on because you know like when uh, 
there's obviously in like Titanic, there's my heart will go on, but then there's the like vocal version playing through the credits. Here, I read in the trivia, it said original song nominated, and it was by Sting. And so that got me really excited because I know one of our favorite oh songs God. of all time is from The Three Musketeers. What is it? All for One and One for Love? Yeah. All for One and One for Love. And you always bring that up because like that was... We're talking about the Disney Three Musketeers. Yeah. With Charlie like Sheen. Right? Charlie Sheen, Oliver Platt, and... Which I, I love Oliver Platt. Uh, We're big Don, Oliver Platt Donald guys. Sutherland. Donald and, Sutherland. And Chris O'Donnell as... Uh, and, oh, Tim Curry's also in Tim it. Tim Curry. Great cast, but yeah. before anything in the credits appear, it's to push this song. Yeah. And, okay, so that's what I don't understand, right? Like, they, they act like this movie's a sleeper hit, but clearly they were trying to push this soundtrack. But it isn't by... These thing, it's by this woman named Krausting. Oh. oh, okay, okay, <laughs> it's whatever. Like, yeah, so I got really excited for nothing, but it's a beautiful song and it plays and, in the credits. And who does the soundtrack? I saw a familiar name. It's uh, again T Bone. Oh, T Bone Burnett. Yeah. Who? Uh, my, I mean, True Detective, yeah. season one, like that freaking song still haunts me. Oh, that intro is so good. But, He's just awesome. He works with the Coen Brothers a lot. Yeah, he works with the Coen Brothers a lot. Um, but we have. Speaking, of, I, I want to go through the cast pretty soon. But speaking of music, I, one of the songs was Jack White's song, and Jack from mm-hmm. the White Stripes. And yeah. now most people just know Jack White as Jack White now. Yeah, but he and he's in the film. That's a pretty nice little role, you know. Part was originally offered Georgia. To, to, to Ryan Adams, but Jack White took it, which is a lot better. Uh, so Kyle, tell us a little bit about this cast. I just want to go through. This is going to take a while to go through this epic cast. I'm not, I don't even remember seeing all these people. In this I'm movie. not even gonna like read their character names because the list will just be that. I'm just gonna say no. the, all these actors that are in this movie. I might so, stop you. So you've got Jude Law. He's the star. He's the main guy here. He he's WP <laughs> Inman, and I, yeah. we should say his name. Yeah. So yeah, WP Inman is played by Jude Law, and then his love interest is Ada Monroe. Played by Nicole Kidman. Yeah, and so this is their story. This is their story, 100%. and then but but on like the cover and then credits before like the whole uh, like rolling credits and everything, the three names are Jude Law, Nicole Kidman, and Renee, Renee Zellweger. Well, she won the Oscar. She won and the she Oscar. brings it. She's she really does. Awesome in this movie. So her name is Ruby. Anyone uh, who wants to ever like throw shade on her for like oh Bridget Jones, watch this movie. Like yeah, proof that she she can bring. Like it. even someone could like I know we've talked about this movie at least on one or two episodes, but Jerry Maguire like you know very big movie like you know like a loved movie that she's in, but someone could obviously that's like the Tom Cruise show. This is like this role she owns. It's not the it's not the Renee Zell- Zellweger show, but she. Like it's not every scene she's in, she steals. She's amazing in this movie. This is I can't think of a better thing she's ever done, a better role she's ever mm-hmm. done. Then you have Brendan Gleeson, obviously our main man, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Natalie Portman, Giovanni Ribisi, Donald Sutherland, Ray Winstone, James Reborn, as you said, also Jack White. Then you've got Ethan Supley, and then you have. Uh, like these, even I didn't like write their names down, but when it gets to their scenes, I have so many. Names Ethan Supley's like the guy from like Boy Meets World and Remember the Titans. And uh, yeah, what's I feel like, like the big guy, yeah. right? Okay, my name is Earl. My name is Earl. Yeah, it's like a little bit more. 
He was, yeah, he was, I mean, this, he's still very big, and then he's lost. I met him, actually. Maybe I'll post that picture. I met him on the set of... Oh, yeah, I've uh, seen that picture. ...of uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Him and Spike Jones. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that now. <laughs> but that's just, but that's just, like, this cast is has so many... Well, I don't know if you knew this guy, James Gammon. He's in the cast. Okay, Major League. Yeah, the that's. Manager. I was like, awesome. Who, like, who's? I've seen this guy. I know this voice. You're right, he's the manager in Major League. And I witnessed. I which don't, is I, awesome. I don't have his wife, uh, the actress that plays his wife in the movie, written down. I know her name's Sally, but Kathy Baker is her Kathy, name. Kathy, but she's just in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, too. yeah. And like we said, even she's like an Emmy for James, something. Just like we said, like James Reborn is just in like a quick like. He literally, I think he has two lines. He plays a, a doctor in a, it looks like an old estate that they turned into a little hospital for Confederate soldiers. And then the biggest one of the, I was trying to figure out the whole time, who is this guy playing? Um, and because tr- Charlie Hunnam is in it. Hunnam. Right? Is it, is it Hunnam or Hunnam? I've never known. I'm assuming I don't, Hunnam. Hunnam, but there's Sons two, of Anarchy there's two, guy. There's two ends in it, so I'm going to go with Hunnam. Sons of Anarchy guy. Right? Sons of Anarchy guy. Almost Fifty Shades of Grey guy. <laughs> Pacific Rim guy, but nowhere to be seen in Pacific Rim 2 trailer. He plays that like albino bad guy yeah. in like the posse with Ray Winstone. And who becomes very pivotal at a yes. later scene. Who did You You said Giovanni Ribisi. You said mm-hmm. Natalie Portman. I, saw, I see Lucas Black. Yeah, Luke, okay. Who does he so, play? Because I don't remember seeing him in the film. But right? I see Lucas Black on the IMDb. Lucas Black is someone we talk about a lot. Or not a lot, but like enough. Well, we should pitch this, I guess, that uh, the guys on Cage Club are doing a, uh, a Fast and Furious. Yeah, it was just uh, the other... By the time this episode's released, it was, it'll was it be uh, like a, a week ago, I guess. Yeah, almost. so cageclub.me. We have a lot of new shows for you. It, a lot not of new us, shows. Not us, but... Well, so they changed uh, the the podcast, the uh, the Ben Affleck ben one. Ben Affleck Just one because not the best time to do that. Obviously, yeah, you've 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 probably heard of Ben Affleck's recent uh, uh, tribulations. But uh, instead, uh, worse than tribulations. <laughs> anyway, uh, Charlize yeah. Theron they chose as a worthy replacement. And you really like the title of this one, "Watch the Theron." Yeah. But it's cool. No, and we're both going to be guests on that one. We can't say which movie is yet, but we're super excited. I almost said it, but... <laughs> nope, we're not allowed. But they're also announced um, a Ryan Gosling one. I think I'll have a pretty mighty performance on it. <laughs> uh, uh, but the, a Ryan Gosling Ryan one Gosling. and a Channing Tatum one. And a Channing Tatum one. And a Fast and Furious one. So any of you Fast and Furious fans out there. I know we get a lot of crossover with Cold Mountain and Fast and Furious. Yeah, so Mainly much. because of our guy Lucas Black here. Lucas Black. So you didn't recognize who he in the <laughs> Who be- is he in this film? Tell me. In the beginning when we see Inman in like the trenches, he's like the one that he's trying to pull up out when he gets oh, there. Oh, okay. He's got like blonde hair. Yeah, because he has blonde hair. That's and then we see him, but he's just like, he actually, in this scene, he does look young. Like, that's the whole thing. He's like, oh, that's blah, blah, blah from, like, our town. Yeah, like, okay. Is okay. he old enough to be even fighting in the war? And then and, in Cold Mountain 2, he's going to be, like, 50. Yeah. And he's going to still play a young he guy. He died in Cold Mountain. No, no, no. He's going to come back in a flashback. As a Confederate. Uh, or Fast and Furious. Shadow. He just comes back. He just comes back, yeah. Yeah, that's the fam- Lucas Black is famous for... At least in our minds. Yeah, in our minds. For being in... Uh, Tokyo Drift, Tokyo, Fast and Drift, Furious, Tokyo Drift, but then has a small <laughs> role in the beginning of the sixth one, the sixth Fast and Furious, I think. 
Yeah, it's after, like, it's just like a little coda to Han dying. Yeah. But he's, like, he's still supposedly a teenager, but he's... But he looks 40. (laughs) Which is fine, because he is. Because he has a big forehead with wrinkles in it. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's an older guy. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. So, okay, so that's Lucas Black. If you're ever angry at, like, Star Wars continuity (laughs) or anything, just watch... Yeah, but that movie is critic... Those movies are critic-proof, you know, like... Ugh, Fast and Furious. (laughs) I, I, I didn't see the last one, but... They're fun. There's a lot of uh, drama fun. going on between Tyrese and The Rock. Which right is now. an amazing feud. And I just <laughs> love that we live in a world in that feud. With that feud existing. They're going to uh, mend their, you know, their problems and they're going to run together as president <laughs> and vice president. <laughs> Other people in this film, uh, Emily Deschanel. Yeah. Um, she's in but from Bones. From Bones. And the sister but... of Zoe Deschanel. Yeah. Who's been in another Hoffman film? Yeah, she's in a small, she's famous. in the same sta- scene as like James Reborn. She just plays a yeah, Jenna uh, Malone. That's she's also in a really quick part. Who is she? She's the person. She's the young girl that's trying to take Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, the fairy person. The fairy person. Yeah, I was wondering who that was because I'm like I know this face. Yeah, Jenna Malone. And what is she from? Where have I seen her? So, well, the two biggest, I think, connections to us, Jenna Malone was, is in The Hunger Games, which obviously PSH is going to be in, and then Inherent Vice, mm. so that's a nice little connection to PTA I hope, PTA I think she's in that. Right I remember. There. She's Owen Wilson's wife. Yeah, 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 yeah. She did really good I mean, she's that. been around. She was a child actor. She was also in a, another movie. What was that? Nocturnal Animals, right? That, oh, that, okay. Yeah. I'm, was, I also remember her in Into the Wild. Oh, okay. A little yeah. part in that film. As far as epic genres go, they're so far not disappointing in the casting department. No, no. Great cast. This is this is a Civil War movie, and it's not a high, like, moral Civil War movie, and it's not a big war movie. I like the side of war that this shows. Well, again, it goes into, like, almost like my favorite Vietnam movie, Deer Hunter, which really, I mean, it shows, like, all, like, kind of, like, three stages of war before while you're in it and then like the aftermath and being back at home and how it changed your life but this really shows also like kind of how i gave him my you know description that it's very much showing because i mean well it's because the story of ada and inman so you're really seeing what's going on back in this town and specifically on this one farm of ada's and then obviously with jude law's experiences of fighting and then once he decides to leave the hospital and like you know, uh, I guess what, what do you call and becomes that? a deserter and deserter, yeah. It's this narrative of war, and I know this is. By the way, this is a an adaptation from a novel, mm-hmm. a pretty successful novel. I don't think I'm glad you brought up that Vietnam thing. I don't think this movie gets made and made so well without that era of Vietnam films. The Vietnam War, with the exception of movies like Hamburger Hill, the Viet, which is an underrated film, but we'll discuss that in our Vietnam War podcast. <laughs> um, the Vietnam War films had to be a little bit macabre, had to be a little bit realistic, had to be a little bit like, wow, war sucks. Because that war sucked, and let's be honest, Amer- all wars suck, but the United States lost. Yeah. Lost. So you have movies like, I mean, you brought up The Deer Hunter, but Platoon, even Apocalypse Now is just like so dark. Yeah. Oh my um, God, yeah. E- even a... Uh, 
I mean, to an extent, um, Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket. I was just going to say Full Metal Jacket. And this is because that was a dark war and a very conflicting war. Obviously, the Civil War is too. But a lot of times, it is depicted as like a, oh, gl- a, a you know, a glorifying thing, not, but not necessarily. Well, th- yeah, there's that, but, and then ultimately, people go and say like, well, this was what finally made us the United States of America. Yeah. So there's almost like yeah. the positive in the end, even through this bloodshed and and. Even okay, I like to bring up World War Two. Everyone, everyone thinks the United States is on the right side of World War Two. If you have a sound mind, you know? yeah, it was so, the ultimate good versus evil <laughs> war. So rarely do you get movies that paint World War Two like a war. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, this fucking sucks. We're shooting people. We're in the mud. This sucks. I mean, Private Ryan tried to do it. There's still like an overall. Anything with Tom Hanks is gonna make you smile at the end. Yeah. But but there's there's like some of that gore and some of that why the hell are we here? Yeah. But think of all the World War Two movies that have like took place before that. Holocaust one's not included. They're always like, you know, like you said, good versus evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get the people going. Yeah, rah yeah. rah yeah. kind of films. This movie is not that at all. This is the ugliness of war. This is like you said, akin to the Vietnam films, where it's like, I'm here. How do I get out of this? And it really starts off like right away in that because I mean you've got well there's there's a voiceover from Nicole Kidman, and then we go into the trenches, and it's the Confederate you know soldiers in their trench, and then we see that there's Union soldiers that are planting these giant barrels of explosives pretty much underneath them. And then right when they uh, see a rabbit in the trenches and they're hoping to catch it for some dinner, there's this huge explosion. That's definitely where like I feel like a lot of the budget went to film and then to uh, the film stock and then to this explosion. Yeah, and this is actually a real battle. Oh, okay, yeah, which, what, what was the name of the battle? So it was it's called the Battle of the Crater. Okay. And, um, well, first of all, it's part of the Siege of Petersburg. Yes, that's what Which they, was yeah. one of the final things, um, final sieges of the war. There's a lot of battles involved. This is actually a battle that the Union loses because they, it, it, it's real. Like, I, I've heard of this battle, then I looked up some other stuff. They put uh, the engineers, dug trenches under the battlefield. Yeah. So when that explosion yeah, happened. Put, put, yeah, like dynamite or whatever they had at the time, made a huge explosion to try to break the... Uh, it was trench warfare in the Battle of Petersburg. And it backfired for the Union. Because I, I guess there was almost like too much explosives. Yeah. They didn't just break the like the cannons and such. They created, they made it, it's called the Battle of the Crater because they made such a crater. Yeah, they created this wall. And then what did the guys say? They're like, oh, we cre- it's like a turkey shoot. Right? Yeah, so there's a huge crater. The Union soldiers charge in, but they actually now have the low ground because they're in the and crater. As we learned in Revenge of the Sith, <laughs> if you have the high ground, you're just always you're just good to go. Famously, Obi Wan versus Anakin in their final battle on <laughs> Mustafar. <laughs> and I have the high ground. Yeah, no, but in war, you 100% always want to take the high ground, and the Union put themselves at a disadvantage and believe it or not i don't know if you saw that got this kyle but it really reminded me of the battle of the bastards and game of thrones oh yeah where you just see the piles of bodies and the gruesomeness well this is yeah that's the whole okay so again it starts off with this like intensity and which i love yeah and 
it just never, like, in, in your dreams, like, you think, like, war, yes, horrible, like, someone is killing somebody, but just the fact of when you see, like, the soldier running, tripping, and then soldiers, like, killing him by just running over him. Yeah, so we don't want to go over, like, this movie, like, scene by scene, because we will be here for three or four hours. Well, almost like last week with, with Owning Mahoney, there's, there's a lot of quick scenes. It's not that there's a lot of quick scenes, but they're very, like, similar scenes in just the sense of that... Like, I've got written, like, you know, that once we're in the past and we we meet, uh, Donald Sutherland plays Nicole Kidman's father. He's a reverend. Yeah, he's a reverend who comes to the town. From yeah. Charleston because he's got a weak chest and the, you know. Yeah, she never really knew her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she's And she comes in and she's this beautiful southern belle. Yeah. Everyone in town. Nicole Kidman is just fantastic. She, I mean, she's a tremendously talented actress. Yeah. But she's also just... Gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Commands the screen, too. Mm-hmm. Like, and she, she looks the part of this beautiful Southern Belle. That's what we were talking earlier when we when, when they said about Charlize Theron, we were thinking of other female actors. Yeah, a Nicole Kidman podcast would, that would be, be a awesome. Great any, any, anyone want to do that one? Yeah. <laughs> Give us credit. Drop us a line, yeah. <laughs> Make us guests. Kyle yeah, will guess on Eyes Wide Shut. Ooh. I'll guest yeah. on... Uh, and then mm. whatever the Adam Sandler one that they go to Hawaii, <laughs> and she's in that, and she's married to Dave Matthews. <laughs> so yeah. That's really weird. I like, okay, so, like, I think her first film, Little Tangent, uh-huh. it, it was on Netflix once, and I saw it. She's, like, a skateboarder in Australia, and she's, like, a little kid, or, like, a surfer or something. What's the famous movie that's, like, her and Tom Cruise, and that's Oh, like Days of Thunder. Right? It's her and Tom Cruise. Oh, no. Are you thinking no. of Eyes Wide Shut? No, I'm thinking of this. Wow. Like, How many Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman? It's this Irish it? epic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck. I thought that's, that's where they too. met. That's where they met. I'm thinking of Days of Thunder. Because he was almost in this movie. Tom they Cruise? Both, they both went out for it and didn't know that they were going for it. and then Were she... they married at the time? I don't oh. think so. They might have been, by then they might have been divorced. Yeah. And then I think, he, then he found, like, then she was like, no, I'm going for it, and he, and he backed out. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, but... She... Last Samurai, also an epic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Last of the Mohegans, the last Mohegan is white. Last Samurai, the last Samurai is white. There's other films like this, I can't think of them. Last of the Jedis. It's white, and it really <laughs> should be a Yoda species person, because they really pushed, you know, whatever. <laughs> anyway. Racism in Star Wars. Yeah. Or it should be frickin' uh, Samuel Jackson. Frickin' Calamarians. The Calamarians don't get enough credit. Yeah. So we're going to be bouncing back and forth, but now that you brought in Ada, why don't we just talk about Nicole Kidman's arc? And, well, basically, let, I mean, of course, Jude Law is together with that. Mm-hmm. So as we mentioned, she's a Southern Belle who comes into town, and Jude Law is just kind of this aloof. He's helping build the church there. Yeah, was he, I, build, I work with wood. Yeah, he's like a woodworker, but he's a little bit aloof. And they're kind of having this little like flirtation back and forth. Nothing yeah, ever happened. Yeah, it's not like love at first sight by any means. No, no, but uh, what's but her name? You mentioned her before, the neighbor who becomes a pivotal Sally. character. Sally, yes. Yeah. She... Sally's kind of like, oh, he likes you. You should talk to yeah, him. Yeah, she's playing matchmaker. Yeah, and so she does, and she kind of first does it to get Jude Law's character to plow Sally's field for her. Literally. Literally. Oh, yeah, that's not literally. I wasn't even thinking of the race. So Sally's like this older neighbor. Yeah, and she's married to the manager of the Indians. From... Yeah, eventually he becomes manager of the Indians. Yeah. He's, he, they do a good job. Yeah. They Leslie Snipes. Charlie Sheen. <laughs> uh, I, forgot the, I forgot the third baseman's name, but 
he was popular at the time, but <laughs> not in the 90s so much. And the guy that's president on 24. Yeah, yeah, who's plays ethnic in that film, and he's less ethnic in real life. Yeah, he plays a Haitian. Yeah. Anyway. Is he Haitian in the film? I know he does yeah. voodoo. There's no Haitian baseball players. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. What is it? Fuck you, Juju. Yeah. I do it to myself. So. <laughs> he's the Allstate guy, too. Jobu, Jobu. Jobu, Jobu. <laughs> No, 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 no! But that's not what happens here. No, that's not what happens. But yeah, I mean, Baseball no, Nicole. Podcast, we, this is the, <laughs> this is like a pretty strong female movie, right? I, yeah, no, 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 and we'll definitely get into that. Oh, I just, I have for I, there's so much I want to say about that in this film. So, but they're dating, not really. You know, they're like flirt. It's like southern gentleman kind of. Like, yes. They're, they're not even courting. I can't even say it like that. No, there's just always like interactions between them. Like flirting? And then, yeah, just like some, fl- like, <laughs> the root like beer someone, someone needs to take charge. And then finally, he goes over there and gives her uh, some sheet music from her. She's her, a piano player. Cause, yes, because she's a piano player, which, by the way, uh, both her and, well, obviously Jack White. But, uh, and then Brendan Gleeson as playing the fiddle, all them, them actually playing their instruments there. Oh, everyone Brendan, actually Brendan Gleeson is supposedly a very, like, uh, well, clearly from watching the movie, but is very, like, a well-trained fiddle what player. A, what a guy, that guy. And he's a cool son, too. And he's in Braveheart. He is. And Gangs in New York. And Gangs in New York. A lot of cool stuff. Jeez. And his son's in Star Wars. All right. I just a lot of... Good night, people. <laughs> <laughs> and Harry Potter. Yeah. Both oh. are in Harry Potter. Him and his son. And so I think he has one eye in Harry Potter. That's all yeah, I Mad Eye Moody. He's not Mad. I hate that I just knew that. <laughs> that's his name. Mad Eye really? Moody. I yeah. was like, that's not his name. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you should listen to our Harry Potter podcast. Yeah, that's, Kyle. That's gets literally, the I think, the only. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> like one of the few very intimate details of Harry Potter right now. And <laughs> we're really going off the tracks right now. But, we love tangents on the show. If you don't know that by now, you can leave. Yeah. Don't leave. <laughs> but the big but the big thing is that Inman gives her a uh, picture and then she gives him a book which is like plays uh important part of his character for a bit in the movie. She gives him this book and that's why he keeps his letters and then she also uh gives him a, a tin picture of her in it where she's not smiling cuz well famously with those like you have to pose for so long it's hard to keep a smile. Yeah. But that just like wasn't I think a lot of people just weren't as happy back then. But yeah, so that's what happens before and they, and they share a passionate kiss before they go but it's and not it's a, like it, it's a passionate kiss I yeah know. like it, it's something you'd remember before going to war that's of course kiss. especially back then like you know it's not too many people in town and absolutely fond memories <laughs> um Jude Law's off to war we've gone over he's in this battle of the crater and he has a subsequent battle after basically they tell oh these cold mountain balls are really good yeah can you go shoot some more union people and in this battle, basically every Cold Mountain boy dies. Except Even my main Indian <laughs> man. Yeah, was, this, this random. With his war cries and his big knife. He kind of, like, wastes guns at one point. I don't know if you see. He's throwing them as spears. With yeah, the, throwing, why yeah. just throw the bayonet? Like, I don't know. I don't know regardless. But he do, everyone, basically, from Cold Mountain dies, and Jude Law just gets seriously injured. Yeah, shot but in we'll, the neck. Yeah. We'll return to Jude Law, because I want to go over Nicole Kidman's arc for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then, because Jude Law's arc is going to be our main focus, because it has to do with Philip Seymour Hoffman's arc. Yeah. Um, so, Nicole Kidman essentially lives with her father. All the men are gone, and her father, Donald Sutherland, ends up passing away. Yes. 
And so she, again, she grew up in Charleston. She, not that a they were... A true not that southern were, lady. Yeah, not that they were the wealthiest of the wealth, but still, just women back then, she never learned any kind of thing of, you know, she says, oh, I can embroider, I can put flowers together, but when she's, like, working with Ruby in, like, you know, the fields and stuff like that, she's like, I, you know, she has her big moment of they're putting a fence together and she's like, Oh, this is the first thing that I'll create. That'll actually have a purpose. Yeah. And, and that's, that's something that's so like you said, there's a strong female characters in this film. Yeah. It passes the Bechdel test. It does because they don't just talk about the guy. They talk about doing shit yeah. and getting shit done. And all the men are gone and her father's dead. And they have a nice house in town. Yeah. They have probably the nicest house in town with a lot of land. And it is falling apart. She's forced to forage, essentially. She's forced to sell her things, a lot of her things. And she's just... She's hoping that Jude Law is going to come back. But, like, who the hell knows? They only met briefly. They only, like, flirted briefly. Yeah. And, and she's she's forced to break this, what society has deemed her as, a dainty southern belle. And she's forced to... Sh- Throw off that veneer mm-hmm. and just not even be a woman, be a human being. Yeah. Because she just has to survive. Yeah. First, through the help of her neighbors, Sally and Esco, she, you know, they, they're trying to make sure that she's okay and they're knocking on her door and leaving some food for her. But then Sally ends up sending over Ruby. Ruby, who's just like essentially weak. She really is. She, I, I should have written it down. Sorry. But she has a repeating line of, oh, yeah, that's actually, that's ironic. Her line of Inman's is that, how Nicole, how Ada is just repeating stuff back to her. And at that moment, I'm like, oh, this is the female version of Inman. Like, she found, like, a new, <laughs> you know, like, a new, a new version of him. And they just start, at first, she's like, I'm not going to be your servant. Yeah, yeah. Ruby just is, like, rough around the edges. And she's obviously no sent there. No filter, Ruby. And she's obviously sent there because she she has no hope either. Mm-hmm. People don't have any hope. They, you know, they. this is like, first of all, it's not easy living in, like, the backwoods as it is. And supposedly she grew up more in the mountains. And it ends up that Brendan Gleeson is her father, but we meet him earlier in the movie because he's playing music for Lucas Black's character. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't even remember that. (laughs) But Ruby is more like very country, very nose, because she's a survivor. She's never had the veneer of having to be a Southern Belle, having to be like a lady like that. Her mother wasn't really in the picture. Her father was a drunk. And why, why is she going to this plantation? Not like honestly, not to be nice and not to help out, because she needs to survive too. Yeah, she's, she's not looking being for, paid. Yeah, she says that's what. Yeah, that she's wants a roof over her head and she wants meals. They're gonna sit at the same table. She's just setting the ground rules right there. And can Nicole Kidman say no at this point? No, no. I mean, and not that she would. And these two women, I'll tell you, like in an age where women are kind of treated like shit, not as bad as the slaves, but they're treated very poorly. These women have to survive, so they just do all these things that the men usually traditionally are expected to do, and they bring this plantation back to life. She's funny and she's awesome. And like, you can, yeah, and you can sympathize with her. She's—it's just a great character. And they make an awesome team. There's a little, you know, at the beginning, of course, there's a little bit of like weirdness between them, mm-hmm. but they end up making an amazing team, and that f- the farm ends up coming back together. Mm-hmm. 
And, and, and I mean, and that's, I guess, this is a good place to jump back to Jude Law, I think. All the Cold Mountain boys, except for Jude Law, are killed. Jude Law gets a really bad neck wound, and he's in this hospital, and he ends up deciding that it's just better for him to just leave there. Because Ada's letter just, inspires him. Yeah. She's just like, just leave it, just come back to me. Yeah. You know, and he's just like, And so he decides, it. well knowing that it's not good and like you know really nothing good can come from it he decides except to des- seeing his ada like, yeah but- yeah but uh he decides to desert and he starts his long journey home and at this moment right after kind of when ruby is introduced to us we end up uh while uh inman is traveling along he runs into philip Seymour hoffman yeah about like 50 minutes in i believe Five oh. Fifty two forty two. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Almost fifty three minutes in. And so does Philip Seymour Hoffman's character have a, he's a he's a minister, right? So he's Yeah, not, he's a minister. And we see him and he has Reverend V C. R- Reverend V C. He's not really mentioned in the film, but he's no. a minister. He's got long hair mm-hmm. and he, he has this His great Great voice. Oh, great voice. Great accent. Mm-hmm. Our man brings it here. Now, look, this is an ensemble piece. Is it his film? No. I'm not going to even say he steals the show, but he he definitely brings it. Yeah, so he's on this... Inman runs into him, and he's holding in his arms uh, this African-American lady that we learn is, a, a, you know, well, obviously down there is a slave, and that he uh, is married and uh, also impregnated the slave and so she's carrying his bastard child so he drugged her yeah i mean he's not a good guy not a good <laughs> not a good guy definitely not you know like as jude law says multiple times like not spreading the good word of no, no no he he's a false prophet he's like not he's he pretends he's a godly man he is not a godly man no like you said he drugs this this girl and he's going to drown her because mm-hmm. she has his baby in her yeah Oh boy, heavy. <laughs> so yeah, and then after this scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman, really the next scene with Jude Law is another one with Philip Seymour Hoffman where he's going along, and it actually first yeah, he yeah. runs into some slaves. Right? I so I was a little afraid. I uh, by the way, we didn't address this. Had you seen this film before? Yes, I'd seen it, but it was a while, and I couldn't remember Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. And so we get that first scene, and they don't like join up together or anything. No, Jude Law ties him up yeah. and puts a to a post and puts a note above his head. We can't read it, but we assume that he's letting the people of the town know Yeah, like what exactly Yeah, happened. what went down. And I was like, oh my god, is Phil Summer Hoffman only in this scene? And I'm thinking, maybe he just did it as a favor to the director. I mean, this is one of, like, uh, Talented Mr. Ripley is one of the first films he did. Yeah. Thank god he does come back. Not that he's a good guy, but... Thank- Inman is on the run running through fields and then he's in these swamps and then he comes across the reverend the minister again and he's like i can help i can get you out of here but we'll we'll play the clip for you right now yeah let's play this clip i can get you out of here <sighs> i dare say that's home guard following you they're out on the road Hunting down deserters. And I don't recommend that way. You'll meet half the town coming after me with a noose. Thanks to you. I should have shot you when I had the chance. 
I know where there's a ferry crossing. Or you can stubborn yourself to death. If this is a trap. Please yourself. I'm just being a Christian. You got any money? Five dollars. For five dollars, I wouldn't give parts to man the dipper of this river water. John says ferry five dollars. Nobody crossed these waters unless they're running from someplace. Y'all wait for your friends? I can give you $30, Confederate. Well, all right, let's go. Whatever that's worth. They cut off my hair. That was hard. I was vain about my hair. I had curls. But I deserved it. I'm the Reverend Beasy. Have I seen you in church? No, not like a tornado. I'd say these days, the devil rules the roost. Thirty more dollars, we can go to that cabin. I can pull this dress over my head. Have we got thirty dollars? So first off, I appreciate this clip because uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman goes into detail with the Jenna Malone character of how he used to have, you know, beautiful curls of hair. <laughs> and I don't know if this has been brought up before in the podcast, but I used to have long hair, and I actually once lost uh, best for the, hair for the. Oh, you lost the contest, the, the con- superlative for best hair. Yeah, and I was gonna say you I- also lost the hair for the same reason. The townsfolk cut the it town's off. The townsfolk cut it off, yeah. Because you were a bad preacher. Mm-hmm. But, so, I, I mean, I, I heard it in his voice. I, I, as one man that has that lost his long hair, not lost, I decided to cut it off myself, but <laughs> one man that used to have beautiful long hair to another man that had uh, beautiful hair or believed he had beautiful hair, I, I, really, <laughs> I, really, I really felt what Philip Zimmerhoffen was selling in this scene. But then, it is his character really does have like some besides his first introduction, which is very dark. He uh, he has a lot of he brings humor to this movie, and so that's a great moment. And they're crossing that river, and then unfortunately the men that were chasing after uh, Inman finally see, and they I actually they kind of just like fire off right away and kill the innocent character. Of yeah, so she she she's a young she, girl that's a ferryman. She's a ferry operator, but also a prostitute. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, it, and I actually like that aspect of it because it just showed how desperate the South was during this time of war. People didn't get some kind of money. I anyway. think just like any people that were just like cut off from like any you know. You know, but especially in time of war when trade has been cut off. Sure, you know? yeah. Think about it like on a larger scale. It's nothing, it has to do with the movie, but it's not mentioned in the movie. The Union has blockaded the South for three or four years now. No imports are coming in and out. Everything you get is from off the land. And if you can't get something off the land, you just got to get money somehow to survive. Yeah, because even what, it's supposed to be $5 to cross the river. And she's like, I know that you, you know, like you'll have to give me more because I hear the people chasing after you. So he gives her 30, 30 it's confederate. confederate it's confederate but it's still a lot of money yeah it's probably like a couple hundred dollars and then she says for 30 more let's just take off her dress 
But then she gets shot. Then she gets shot. So, <laughs> not laughing at that, but you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. So, so they end up making it, escaping. Yeah, for a while they become these uh, these traveling companions. <laughs> and then I guess the biggest comedy moment for Philip Seymour Hoffman is the fact that he's incredibly constipated. Yeah. So that's. Uh, <laughs> it's a little funny. So as I can sympathize with him with the hair, I cannot, uh, fortunately, so sympathize with the constipation. Hasn't happened to me yet in my life. And oh, I, I don't think we needed that. <laughs> but I. Lo- but he did. But I did write this down. I lo- his description of me puts turds on top of turds. <laughs> And he, that's, he's, yeah. he's a bad, bad man, but he's still funny. Yeah. Because it seemed like he was going to take the uh, fairy woman up on her offer. He was mm-hmm. getting, like, excited yeah, about Yeah, he's it. very uh, sexually... I guess that's just, his sin, you know. That's yeah. His, that's that's his, his vice. Yeah. <laughs> Between the slave and then Gemeline's fairy uh, woman and then... The then in uh, Giovanni Ribisi's cabin. Yeah, yeah, and we'll definitely get to that. Actually, I, we should probably play that clip because he finds a saw, because they have nothing and they're just basically like taking stuff. Yeah, at that moment, they're uh, Immin's trying to catch a fish with his bare hands in the river, and then they hear horses coming, so they duck down, and yeah, we'll play the clip, and uh, it's the famous uh, saw clip. It's famous. I mean, the Fandango decided. To. <laughs> Hey! Shh. Look at this! Keep your voice down! Look at this! It's a good soul! And it's not yours. You're a Christian. Don't you know your commandments? Yeah, you'll find the good Lord very flexible on the subject of property. We can do a lot with this soul. Cut down a tree. Play music with it. You're gonna thank me for this song. Say thank you when I've lost you and I've found some food. You'll see, you'll thank me. My old bull wandered off and died in this here creek. Poison up our waters, how I found them. Thank you. You're a true Christian. That's a rank odor from that animal. Being dead a good while, I reckon. This is a tricky one. You fellas help me out. My woman cook you up a good dinner. I'm getting an idea. My saw is a remedy. I believe you need two people. And one on either end. Yeah. Give me uh, that saw. Let's do this in chapters. That's right. Yeah. Start at the neck. Oh, well, that is unpleasant. 
I love his little description. It's almost it almost goes into Forrest Gump territory of like, you know, when he's just like different kinds of shrimp. He's like things we can do with this saw, <laughs> and then they stumble upon Giovanni Ribisi, who's in this like a little creek where his bull has died, and right away, as you heard, Philip Seymour Hoffman just kind of like meanders down there. Good afternoon to you, sir. You know, you know, he kind of reminded me of in his like open and like confidence uh, a character from another movie he was in, not his character but like Walter what, uh, from uh, Big Lebowski oh, yeah, when yeah. it was like and a good day to you sir <laughs> <laughs> but after this scene it gets almost to like did you feel it was like a Caligula level <laughs> what do you oh okay okay yes um just in general, in real life probably, but definitely in films, when sexual times come that easy, probably think there's something behind it. Yeah, right? some, something is, uh, something's a brewing. So, Philip Zimmer Hoffman finally gets to poop. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, we should say that first. Yes. And Giovanni Ribisi just invites him, hey, come to my house. By the way, I hope you don't mind, there's a lot of women here. Yeah, so it's his wife and then his wife's three sisters, I believe. Yeah. Because, and a bunch of children, too. I mean, they get that cow out of the water. Well, they cut, they cut it up with the saw. And it's just like, it, it, it looks like it's just being hospitable. Yeah. And I, I didn't know what to think here, but like then... I just didn't trust it. I yeah. Trust, is there any movie you've ever trusted Giovanni Ribisi in? I don't even care if he is good and he's the medic and he dies in Saber Prime Ryan. There was just something I didn't <laughs> trust about it. Gone on 60 Seconds, Cage Club. He's yeah. like... A brother who really screws up. Yeah. In Friends. Friends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of other things. He's in. A, he doesn't look like a trustworthy he's guy. He's in one of your Avatar. Favorite, yeah, it was like one of your favorite films, Avatar. I was just, it was just confirmed via uh, the interwebs the other day that he'll be in all four Avatars. Wow. Uh, so he's like the main bad. Then. Yeah. Unless he turns good at some Well, supposedly point. the bad guy that died in the first one's coming back too. What? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Whatever. You can do that on your Avatar Speaking of podcast. Pocahontas and Ferngully. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, oh. they get to this house, and I guess they had a lot of, is that moonshine? Like, they're not drugged. They're just no, no, really they're just drinking. Alcohol. And you know what it also kind of reminded me of here? Okay, so, yeah, this is a weird reference, but Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. I was just thinking. <laughs> you know, where yeah. the guy who ends up being like, what's his name from Law and Order? I can't remember. Um that freak yeah. show is the character's name, but God, I love this guy. And I can't think of his name. Regardless, and he's like slips in, like, "Oh fuck my wife," and like, mm-hmm. else, like you know, like something's up. Something's yeah. up, but it's, I turn out nothing was up in that film. But he essentially is like too easy. Like, oh, by the way, I gotta go. First of all, things are already starting at the dinner table, and there's like kids running around. Yeah, and there's like a lot of sexual and, energy. Yeah, and the heavier sister is like rubbing Phillips from Hoffman's crotch, <laughs> and. Giovanni Ribisi is just like, oh, by the way, I'll be back in like two days. I gotta go check some traps. Yeah. See you later. At that point, I would be like, what? Yeah, no. But they were really drunk. And, so they and couldn't. Jude Law handles it much better. Yeah. Because one, one of the sisters is on him in a sexual position. And, and the wife of Giovanni Ribisi, who's played by Melora Walters who is a Philip Seymour Hoffman collaborator in Boogie Nights and Magnolia. Yeah. 
Philip Zimmer Hoffman, though, our guy they go is to the like barn and just start. yeah, he's having like an orgy essentially yeah. with with Again, yeah, three or four of the other sisters. At that point, it, you know, he, a guy with a vice like that, you know, he's not going to stop. No, home guard is that like was that a frequent use for like people that collected runaways and yeah, the home guard are just like again like. There's no police back then, too. Mm. It's just like army soldiers trusted with gotcha. taking care. But they're not really in the yeah. army. They're kind of like a loose thing. Yeah. A lot of the reason they capture runaway slaves and deserves this for the money. For the money, yeah. Which is what happens here is that Giovanni Ribisi is getting a little bit of their cut of the home guard. And so they come in and... It's a trap. It's Yeah. it's a, as a, Again, to quote the Kalmarians. <laughs> and... First Jude Law, and then they go into the, into the uh, barn, and we see like the three sisters just like all over Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's like, "Oh, hello, gentlemen." It's funny because yes, this is a trap. Yes, it's Giovanni Ribisi, and these kids who are watching this trap go down. Mm-hmm. That's creepy. But, but it's like these women who I guess are alone. They're probably widows or something. Yeah, they also seem like they're enjoying this situation way too much <laughs> you know yeah they're not and even when he comes in Giovanni Ribisi with like the home guard to arrest them because as we said it, it is a trap he's like angry that his wife took part in it yeah he's like you know you're not supposed to t-. yeah he hits her and then hits him and then yeah yeah and, and to be fair Jude Law didn't really do anything no she every anything he technically did it's like she put his hand on that area yeah yeah no he was he was like reluctant cuz you know he's our love interest here but Vilsner Hoffman no he was a all in mm-hmm. <laughs> he was all in and so from here they're captured by this home guard and then when they're on the road all of a sudden they hear this union cavalry coming and they decide to hide in like on the hill in the grass but Jude Law uh, tells the Filter Hoffman and these probably like at least like four other guys that they're in chains with that they should make a run for it, but pretty much it becomes a bloodbath and all the conf- all the home guard that they're with get shot, all the guys that he's chained together get shot and killed. Some Union guys get killed as well, and he's just thought to be dead in this pile. Like that's. A big thing with, like, Inman is just, like, he, it's so many close calls with him. But it's is something that's a theme of the film. Yeah. People allude a lot to fate, and uh, and I want to address this in a second, but we, we also get a, a vision in the film. Yeah. But let's address the elephant in the room. Our guy, Philip Hoffman's death here. Yeah. Another death. Another death. Not as dramatic. Gets shot in the back or slash head yeah and it's, it's like a one shot clean deal yeah how many deaths do we have now i think we did include this in it, but i think at this point it's uh i think it's six deaths six deaths six times he's died on screen i guess yeah so um what did you think of his performance i guess in this film so with this i mean he just again brings so much like it's to this little role which this film so we've discussed it before Clearly, like he's a guy that has been in these smaller performances, but adds a lot to it. This film, though, has a lot of that from other people as well. Like soon, a scene that we're uh, going to talk about is with Natalie Portman. Yeah, 
And you have that again, like in like as far as screen time goes, I think he's pretty equal with Natalie Portman. He's equal with Donald Sutherland, and you have a lot of these actors that are just bringing their A game and to the sprawling epic are making the most of what they're you know given as far as lines and what they can contribute to just the overall story. And so for that, again, he is incredibly successful that he's funny but then brings like so he's obviously wasn't fighting he was a minister but he just brings like you know even if you're not in war bad things are going on like you know there's so many times so many different characters say like the world is a terrible terrible place and there's always these little moments of hope that are shown in the movie yeah yeah um I definitely agree with everything you're saying. He, I'm not upset because there's so many great actors who take these little roles in this film Mm -hmm. and do a great job, and he does an amazing job. I think the way we're viewing things, movie by movie, film by film, it feels like a little bit of a step back from like Owen Mahoney, the last film we did, which he was the star. Yeah. But when you look at his whole career, it's not that big of a deal. And it reminds me of something that, if you guys haven't heard, shameless plug, but the Amos Poe episode was amazing that we did. Uh, uh-huh. But something that Amos said, I kind of brought up that Philip Seymour Hoffman paid his dues. And he corrected me, and he said he didn't believe that at all. He believed more that he was just a working man's actor. And he would yeah. just take parts that he loved. And he, he just could, loved to act, yeah. loved to work, and, and loved he would to work participate on. in films. And, I guess, and then I thought about it, and I think he's right, because we see him in later films, take on similar roles to this. Yeah, so, I mean, this, we've got a director, we don't know the exact situation, but most likely I'd say that Anthony Magella, like, reached out to him and said, like, oh, I'm working on another, because this is the first thing he was working on since... Oh, really? Wow, he didn't do anything in between. No, so it's, well, that was nine, so this was... Well, actually, that kind of makes sense. Over the how long he took F- on yeah, it. Yeah, uh, he was involved <laughs> in it for five years. So after Talented Mr. Ripley, which is 1999, this came out in 2003. So even then, <laughs> he was... That's uh, a good point. Yeah. So, you know, I think of, like, uh, for example, Moneyball, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't even want to get into Long Came Polly or, like, comedy things, but, yeah. like, Moneyball. It's not a big party place in that film. No. It's more... It's, I mean, it's not even really an ensemble film, but it is a little bit. But he still liked to gravitate to certain roles. Mm-hmm. And I think this is exactly what we're seeing here. Like, yeah. a director he likes, he's worked with before. Yes. Probably feels he owes a little bit, too. And that's what well. Moneyball again was, too, because that was Capote. Yeah. So. Same director, Bennett Miller. And he he just said, I, this is an awesome role. It's a character, a dark character, a lot of depth, but also a, a character you can bring Against with someone with a, too. with a vice. Yeah, with a vice. He had gambling last week. He's definitely, he's definitely like somewhat of a sex addict. If yeah. I, you know. And, he, and in that way, he brings it. When you view his career more as him taking roles he wants to take, mm-hmm. I'm completely happy with this, and I think it's awesome. I yeah, think that it could was be some a, really insightful information that Amos gave Absolutely. Us. And if it was... We were, a, again, you said you were guilty, of, or he corrected you. Like, I had said that plenty of times as well. Oh, yeah, we both He's said just, it. It's a just, paying your dues thing. Yeah. And it, it's, it's not that. When you don't view it as that... I think at the beginning, yeah, he paid his dues in terms of he could only get those kind of roles. Yeah. 
But I think he, we see that he still takes them. He still it takes wasn't like parts. some actor that's like, no, I starred in this. I'm waiting for my next star. Yeah, and so he's he's an actor's actor. Yeah, he's a working man's actor. And though we get an early exit, how many? Not even screen time because it's not a lot. But, but what minute does he die? Like one thirteen, one fifteen, yeah. something like that. So if, if anything in this epic, he's only in it for twenty minutes. Yeah. Or so. Like and not in it for twenty minutes, just like twenty minutes of the film exists that he's alive. Yeah. But he's still he's a memorable character. He brings it and he does a great job. Yeah, I mean that's just that's all you can ask from him in the in 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 this role and just as many performances that he's given up to this point and will keep giving us. Yeah. So this being a Philip Seymour Hoffman podcast, uh, we're gonna try our best to bring it home. Yeah. The rest of the film. There's a lot of the film left. But we'll do, we'll do our best to make it quick because we know you're here for the Hoff. Yeah, so like I said, I mean, the next big thing is that um, Teague and his, uh, I wrote down Posse, but then I corrected myself. So Teague is Ray Winstone. Ray Winstone. Who's the head of the home guard yeah. in and it, Cold Mountain. Yeah, so he goes, and there was a rumor that Esco and Sally were hiding, uh, they had three sons, that they were hiding at least one, if not multiple, uh, uh, sons back at their farm, and so Teague goes over there and kills Esco, and, uh, kills their sons that were hiding in the barn, and then hurts Sally, like, really bad, like, her hands, and she ends up losing her voice from the strangling of the ropes, so that's, like, what happened on the home front. And then, in yeah. yeah. Oh, just one thing I want to mention though, because I alluded to it. So in an earlier scene, like they act like the well is magic, or mm-hmm. I guess oh, it yes, is magic yes, yes. to them. Yeah. And Nicole Kidman looks in a mirror in the well, and she sees this vision of Inman, like approaching her with with crows around her, and she doesn't know if it's a ghost. Yeah. Or him coming back, and I just mention it because later in the film it is cited and is an important thing. Of course. And foreshadowing, if you yes. have a very direct foreshadowing. Then as far as Inman's journey goes, uh, he's uh, saved by this woman that's like living in the mountains in this little cabin with her goats, and she finds him in the pile of the uh, people that he was in the chain, chain gang with. After that is when we meet again Brendan Gleeson's character. I do not know how to pronounce his character, even though they say it, I, don't, I can't recall how to it's storeboard, like S T O R B O R D. It's like storeboard. I don't know. He's Renee. He's a Renee Zellweger's father. Yes. So he's caught on Ada's property in like this corn hutch. Like we have yeah, two they, characters they, with their hands. They like, set a trap. Yeah, they set a trap, and so he's comes back into Ruby's life. We also through him meet Pengel, which is Ethan Suppley's character, and Georgia, which is Jack White's character. Yeah, he has, like, a band. Yeah, he plays the fiddle, Ethan Suppley plays the banjo, and Jack White sings, and or they all sing, but I think Jack White plays a, some kind of guitar, because he's Jack White. <laughs> and while this is going on, Inman leaves, and this was one of the more tender moments of the movie for me, was that he comes across this cabin, knocks on the door, and says that he's a Confederate soldier on furlough, and that he needs uh, money and shelter, 
and Natalie Portman is in there with her infant son, and we learn that her husband died at Gettysburg, and so she, you know, is nervous, has a, you know, rifle or shotgun pointed at him, but he, you know, shows that he's a good guy and offers her his pistol, and so he goes to stay in this, like, little hutch, but then she is just so missing her husband that she invites him inside and doesn't want anything sexual to happen, but she just wants his body a, like a good next cuddle. To her. Yeah, like, yeah, good cuddle. I mean, <laughs> God knows I can appreciate a good cuddle. And we we're cuddling while doing this podcast right now. I just felt really awkward. <laughs> but, I mean, we were. I'm sorry. I, I'm I want sorry. you to tell everybody. I'm Big Spoon. Cider and cuddles. The two seasons. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, what did you think of this scene? It was because I mean, it becomes a a big moment, and we get our like one last like kind of cameo in this movie. Yeah, yeah, which is it's super interesting. I definitely want you to go into that. No, I mean, I liked it because it also showed like there's just so many widows in yeah. war, especially back then. And we have to remember again, like this isn't like you know Nicole Kidman left Charleston, and even Charleston back then obviously wasn't you know it was still sprawling and it was more dense but this is like the mountains yeah if this woman played by natalie portman and her her infant baby has like a bad cough he's sick again husband died at gettysburg and she's all alone in this world like what is like that's actually that's like legit one of the, the, all like the final like one of my final thoughts of this movie is just like yeah but what about natalie portman like because they take okay so so set up what happens here because i do want to go into this scene so they spend the night in the same bed just for comfort. She starts sobbing. He says, "I can leave." She's like, "No, I want you to stay." So they just, yeah, you know, she, in, she in one her o- husband, in one another's embrace, like they're just comforting one another. And he both miss their significant other. Yeah, he explains how she, he has love in his life. And then the next morning, he's woken up by her because there's three Union soldiers outside. So he sneaks out the back window and goes up this hill and is watching what's going on while he's kind of putting his clothes on. These guys, these Union soldiers, they're just the worst of the worst. They're some of the worst characters in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I f- forgive them a little. And Okay, no, 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 no. I want to be clear. I do not forgive their actions. Uh-huh. But I know where they're coming from. They're in the South. These people are their enemies. They hate them all. Yeah. This is what war does to people. And it's not forgiving it because it's terrible. They are terrible people. You're right. They're some of the worst characters but they're they're just the war makes you see your enemy as almost subhuman well, yeah they take her baby they just put it on the ground outside while it's crying away she's saying it's sick please help him and two out of the three soldiers go inside to have their way with her well, one at first and so that's when we see that while this stuff was happening outside Inman goes back inside and is hiding behind the door and while uh, the one Union soldier is on top of Natalie Porterman lifting up her dress Emin goes behind him and slits his throat. When the other one comes inside and it looks like the guy's just on top of her, he goes uh, behind him and throws an axe in his back. And there's, out of the three, there seems to be, like, one decent guy that, like, was worried about the baby and he's about to pick him up. And Emin tells him to freeze. And we see, well, we kind of saw it before, but it's played by uh, Killian Murphy who is known for his breakout role in 28 Weeks Later and then played the Scarecrow in uh, all three Christopher Nolan. Yeah, also uh, Inception. Inception. And so, uh, yeah, just a small role for him back in 2003. 
and Inman just wants him to take off his clothes and he starts running off, but then Natalie Portman steps out and pretty awesome shot with the rifle. Yeah, boom, point, not point blank, but like... Yeah, like from a distance just yeah. lays him out. In the back. And that's the last we see of her character. So I just, I went like, what, I kind of wanted like him to be like, there's a good town, Cold Mountain, like you should move to it. <laughs> like <laughs> no, I wanted again, to see they... her like at the end of the movie when they're all around the picnic table, I wanted to see her there with her boy. I think she'll be okay. She's a survivor and they didn't take the hog. Yeah. She said the hog will help her survive the winter. I think she'll be okay. Yeah, but I'm just... Yeah. Also, like, we should... She does need to move, though. She'll be fine <laughs> with her, Like... I don't know. It's funny... Not funny, but it's interesting, right? Like, there's snow on the ground, but this is the south. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I know it's snows... Mountains in North Carolina. Yeah, the mountains in North Carolina, I'm sure. But I'm not used to hearing that accent in a snow-covered land, <laughs> if that makes sense. You know, I'm used to hearing, like, molasses down by, like, the, the cranberry bog wow, or whatever. Yeah. Or the creek. Yeah, the cranberry, <laughs> cranberry bog. You know, so... Don't go onto the briar patch. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah that's, that's what you're like. Mountain. Yeah. Don't go into the briar patch. Right. Songs of the South, that's originally from a banned mm-hmm. Disney film. Yeah. A ba- yeah, a ba- yeah. <laughs> I've never seen it. But I've only seen, like, the Zippity-Doo-Dah. Yeah. And that's it. I don't and think that's that... it because <laughs> that's all you can show is a black man singing zippity doo <laughs> to a couple of animated birds. I wonder how bad it is. Like, I really want to see Songs of the South. Just to it's got to be out there somewhere. It, it For them to ban it, it has to be pretty, like, something has to be really bad. Because this wasn't banned recently. Well, because that's banned, nothing like, but, like, feel-good stuff, but clearly when they yeah, say, like, probably like, oh, I'm a slave, and, but I love yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> even when she says, oh, I'm going to bring the Negroes some root beer, like, even then you're just like, Ugh. Yeah. But it's not a, but it's, like, they use it, because that's what they were saying at the time, yeah. but in, like, Songs of the South of Disney, you can't say Negroes and have a cartoon bird flying over your head at the same time. <laughs> Think about it. If they allow Peter Pan to, like, still go on with, like, that whole, like, what red man, the, yeah, what, make what, the red man red, red song, yeah. and that's okay. Well, because that's fantasy at least. But, so maybe but there are different songs types. of the South <laughs> must be. Too, I don't want to know. I yeah. do, I do, but like it's oof. Bad. Free work is fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, zippity do that. Anyway, yeah. back to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, and I mean after this, um, the big moment is that uh, Ruby's father. And then uh, Ethan Supley's character, so uh, Pangle, and then Georgia, uh, they are staying up in the mountains. Ruby isn't letting them stay at the house, and they find, one of them finds this this dead animal that's been frozen or whatever, and it gets Jack White's uh, Georgia character sick, and he's in the bushes, and that's when Teague comes up with his, you know, posse. And they come around and they sit at the fire and they seem harmless at first, but they uh, ask him to play some music. And also, Ethan Supley's character is a simple-minded uh, fella. And is so he, he gives, okay? Is uh, he just like dumb, or does he have a learning disability? In your mind, in my like, mind, he's like one of those situations that's like, oh, he was kicked by a mule. <laughs> so he has some kind of learning disability. Yeah, he's not that, just like okay. Yeah, like he, I mean that would make sense because he's he's a savant with the banjo, you know. <laughs> yeah. So he's like that's his one way of truly communicating. Yeah, of like channeling. Yeah, 
<laughs> but yeah, he gives up that they were the ones because uh, Teague says that they're heard that there are people living in the cave, and Brendan Gleeson tries to say, "Oh, what cave around here?" And you know, and uh, he's just like, "Oh, you know what cave?" Like, you know, Pangle, and he's just like, "Oh, we were living in that cave." Uh. <laughs> and in the meantime, again, George is watching from the bushes. So Pangle and uh, you know Brendan Gleeson's character, they're playing their music it's a beautiful song Ray Winston even starts kind of singing he stands up and is facing away and starts singing along and then once the song is over uh, he asks them to stand up and he doesn't want them and Pangle thinks that it's going to be for a tin photo and he tells him not to smile and, put a, and then he <laughs> yeah, tells but, him to put a hat over his but, face but Gleason knows it's not oh yeah and he says like Ruby didn't you know she wasn't help, you know like she only gave us a jacket. She wasn't doing anything. Like, don't do anything with these women. And so they both get shot. Brendan Gleeson goes rolling down a hill. And then the next day, Georgia runs down and tells Ruby and Ada. And they go up there. And they think at first that they took her father's body. Yeah. But they see him and he's still alive, but he's lost a lot of blood. So what was it? was these, were they, did they say Cherokee? Or it was some Native American, like, cabins Cherokee Cherokee and they go to these cabins and because they wouldn't he wouldn't make it down back down the mountain before being mended and taking the getting the bullet out of him and so while he's in bed Ruby tells Ada to, to go get some food and she ends up uh, finding some turkeys and shooting one of them and then this is this is the moment this is our big ending folks yeah so finally, her the, and Inman meet again. And at first, she thinks it's him, but he doesn't say anything. And then he says something, but she doesn't say anything back. Because he's got this cool beard. Yeah. <laughs> and his voice is still a little weak from getting shot, shot in the neck. And then she he turns away, but then she finally yells out his name, and he pauses there and turns around. But it's not like they go one of these movies where they go running up and they grab one another in this which honestly I love yeah because that's not what it was they had this one while passionate one kiss before he left but they just go back to this Cherokee camp and she introduces him to Ruby and she's kind of nonchalant she's like oh this is the guy you're talking about it's it's awkward it's a little weird but it's exactly what would happen if two people when two people reunite after a while. It's not always this passionate thing. Yeah. It's like he's seen a lot of shit, she's seen a lot of shit. Yeah, and he keeps telling he he says to her like I don't know if like I I'm not the same man as when I left. Like any kindness, any sweetness, like it's left me. Like it left with every life that I took as well. But while they are sitting around the fire and saying that. You know, she says, oh, we only had a few moments. And he goes, no, thousands. And they start saying these moments, these beautiful moments that they remember having with one another before he left for war. Ruby comes out and pretty much, like, she's a great wing woman in this movie. Yeah. And says it, like, is just like, I'm going in this, you know, hut with my dad and you can go. I like how she is before that, though. She's very protective because she's heard things about this guy, but I don't think she thought she would ever come come back yeah. he would ever come back and, and she's a little, a little threatened because she's like yeah. I had plans for that farm yeah she she just that's her life now she's she doesn't put, know if like he's gonna be like all she knows I think did we mention the, this that the father 
uh, originally was abusive to her. Abusive, and drunk, and just... All she knows of men are is that. Yeah. So she doesn't know if this guy's going to come back and be that. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think he she get she approves of him because he seems like a legitimately nice guy. And the big thing is, like, like, like she shaves him. Mm-hmm. Um, Jude Law's shaving his beard off with her knife. And, and nicking himself. And nicking himself, and she, like, offers to shave him and, like... I think that the showing of trust, because the blade's basically on his jugular. Yeah. Like, where she's like, all right, this guy's pretty cool. And so uh, after their passionate night together, which supposedly took two days to shoot. Uh, the the lovemaking scene the love between Jude Law scene, and Nicole yeah, Took two days to shoot. By the way, Jude, La- Jude Law's on. penis is on the internet. I didn't know that. Yes, so he said leak. So if you want to see it. I just want is that to me or to the to you, the, Kyle, to the and everybody? Audience, I just right? want to be fair because we often mention nudity on this podcast, yeah. and I don't want to just mention the female nudes here. No, we see butt and we see one nipple, but it's not like Nicole Kidman has shown everything in her career. Yeah, so but it's it, it's tasteful. Yeah, it's not like oh no, it's a very passionate night which took two days to film, <laughs> and. I like this moment where I don't know if it's just him as a good, he is a good guy, but I don't know if like Ada said a little something to him. But before they head back, Inman says to Ruby, "I I think you know it's best to ask you like if I, if I plan on staying there, are you okay with me staying at the farm?" And you know she gives him his you know the okay and her blessing. Yeah. So that was just it's like nice. a nice moment, it's and nice. so. But the end of nice moments, kind of. Well, there's a nice moment at the end. But. Yeah. But <laughs> Ruby agrees with Inman that she and Ada should go ahead, and he'll walk down the mountain with her uh, father on the horse, and she's kind of still like, you know, weird, like woozy and passed out from his uh, the bullet to his back. And then when they're going back down, of course, Teague is there with his posse. And you knew it was coming, though. You yeah. knew it was coming. And they went down to the farm and found Georgia, and he, because they beat him up, said that they were up there, and they thought it was just like they were burying the two people. I don't know what they were going to do here, if they were going to kill both Ruby and Ada. I mean, what did you... I think at this point they were going to kill the both of them, because, I mean, I don't know if we alluded to it, but um, Ray Winston's character at first tries to woo... Ada. Yeah, he wants the property. Way, and, I mean, she's attractive. Farm. Yeah, that's a way to get the farm. Yeah. But she just, like, flat out denies him every time. So he's obviously trying to, like, consolidate all the land he can at that point. Gain a little power. Yeah. And just just himself survive, too. Again, not forgiving him. But we're all, we're in, like, Mad Max rules, kind of. Yeah, it is a very... It's like a real-life Mad Max. Tie-in to watch the Theron. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, plans are thwarted because Inman sends the horse down, and it kind of looks like Ruby's father is riding it, although he's still injured and you know very much up against the horse. But while they briefly shoot at that, Inman comes out and starts shooting. I think it's at least like a, including Ray Winston, like five or six other guys, and a posse. A posse, yeah. <laughs> Ruby even shoots one of them, but she gets shot in the shoulder, and then Inman tackles a guy, and Jack White is able to get up, hit one other guy, and pretty much all of them, even Teague, is finally on the ground, and Inman shoots him, kills him, but he goes riding after Charlie Hunnam's character. Um, Sons of Anarchy guy. 
Yeah, who plays a really creepy albino, like, acrobatic albino that like is like jumping youth, off the fence. What do they yeah. say? Youth is my inspiration, or something like that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but they have. He's like a video game boss. Yeah, but they. Ha- it's really kind of like cool moment that they're just again he he uh charlie hunnam has like the higher ground but they're both like riding parallel with one another and they just get into like a quick little shootout and we then we see charlie hunnam uh get shot and it's just like leaning like still on the horse but like leaning off to the side clearly dead but then jude law unfortunately starts coughing up blood yes yeah, so and they, this yeah. is where that, as you mentioned, the uh, well prophecy. Yeah, so first Nicole Kidman thought, like, oh, it, the prophecy, or what I saw was must him. have been him coming back. But it was actually, again, it's literally, literally what she sees happens. Yeah. Right? He just... she, she goes up after hearing the echo of the pistol going off and sees him off his horse, and these crows are th- flying through this little, like, passageway, and we see him walking through and he collapses on his knees and he just says like i made it back yeah and it's really really sad because this whole epic is about how much total time do you think they spent together in this film yeah i mean not long but you know what this film should be called the film of the super sperm <laughs> because at three times here yeah there's like at least brief sexual encounters or one sexual encounters that result in children. So, uh, Donald Sutherland, uh-huh. like, I don't know, maybe he knew her for a while, but it kind of implies that he wasn't even married to his wife for that long okay. and conceived Nicole Kidman. Yeah. Um, even uh, Ruby, they admit that okay. that mother didn't know the father that long. And now, you know, Jude Law and Nicole Kidman had sex once and we see later they conceive a child, a little red-headed girl. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know what it is, but guy, maybe guys in the Civil War are very good. At, I mean, I don't know fertile. if you want to call it good. Yeah, fertile. Well, yeah. Well, men and women are Sow more fertile the royal back then. oats, <laughs> plowed the fields. <laughs> Regardless. <laughs> so we get this nice little end, coda. I keep using that word, but little end mm-hmm. uh, scene. And it's... Easter. It's Easter. They seem like they rebuilt uh, the farm and the town. And who's at this table? So you've got... Ada and her daughter, and then you've got uh, Sally, who is, uh, you know, still a lot, you know, lost her husband and her sons, but she's still living at the farm. You've got Ruby and her father, and then Jack White her, is now her husband. Yeah. And Ruby's. Ruby's husband, and they have two children. One big happy family. I wanted to see Natalie Portman at the table. <laughs> she it was Easter Sunday. She only she was there for Passover. Oh. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> no, but again, very, very happy ending, but bittersweet because yeah, obviously Jude Law's character has passed away. So that's our film. So you said you liked it. Yeah, I no, I really love this film. I, I again, in epic fashion, it is a longer movie and it has a slow pace to it, but it's a beautiful movie. It lends itself to the genre very well. It's a fantastic ensemble and another great uh, performance by our main man. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. So 71% uh, Rotten Tomatoes by the critics, 77% by the audience. 
I think it's, I think to me it's in the eighties. Yeah, I feel like low eighties. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like at least ten more points there. I le uh, on the critic score. Did we? Uh, did you happen to look up what was that year in Oscars? Return of the King. Yeah, I Lord always like you know you think the year, but then it's like the next year is like what the award ceremony. Yeah, is. yeah. So yeah, it was. So there you go, another epic. And you have to. I mean, uh, sorry, Zach Bressler, our feuding of Star Wars versus Lord of the Rings will continue, but Lord of the Rings clearly won because it was just like for the best of three, you know. Yeah. Like, but That's a reward. <laughs> and then I'm um, I'm now looking at it as well, and boy, we keep we're. Pr- Guys, you're welcome. We're promoting the new podcast. Charlize Theron won that year. Oh, for Monster? For Monster. Oh, cool, cool. So we had uh, Renee Zellweger. It was the year for Blondes. And Sofia Coppola won for Best uh, Original Screenplay. Cool. A lot of... That was a cool year. Yeah. So, Cold Mountain. Um, again, I wish we saw more of our guy. I say that a lot, mm-hmm. but still happy that we did it on this podcast. Happy that I got to see it again after... Again, I might have seen it years ago. Um, what do we have next week? Next week we have. Are you ready, Brian? I'm ready. What do we have? I don't remember. Along came Paul. Oh wow! A film that a lot of people talk about on this podcast. Not everyone loves, but everyone remembers Philip Seymour Hoffman in that film. Easily in my top five favorite performances of Philip Seymour <laughs> Oh, I can't. I really can't wait to watch it again. Again. We'll get into it, but it's definitely it's not the greatest film in the world. And we're having, but he's amazing in yeah, it. Yeah, and uh, we've been kind of talking about the new shows on the Cage Club Network, but we'll have more of an inside scoop with yet again our most frequent host, Michael Manzi. Yes, the acclaimed the acclaimed podcaster, Michael Manzi. Yes. So we'll get Michael Manzi on. We're going to talk along came Polly. You know, we're going to make it rain. And he's never seen it before. He's never seen it? He's only seen, to quote him, the beginning and a few scenes. Why the hell did he pick to do that podcast? I'll just say it right here. I mean, we have got so many people who have asked to be on that episode, but he's kind of our boss on the network. We have yeah. to we have to have him on it. Better a- make it good, Michael. Yeah, you better make this good, Michael Manson. I know cause... I said that a little bit like John Wayne. <laughs> better make it good, Michael. <laughs> we have a lot to say when it comes to that film. It's going to be a th- this this is an epic movie. Next week is going to be an epic it podcast. Be, it, 3 hours long. It might be honestly it we're going to try to like restrain ourselves, but we could probably do a 3 hour I podcast. I could do 3 hours just alone on Hank Azaria's character in that movie. We have Kyle and I have talked about Along Came Polly. Quite possibly one of the bigger reasons we even decided to do this podcast. And I'm not, <laughs> not going to lie. Not joking. <laughs> not going to lie. Yes. Any of you haters out out there next week you're you're gonna change <laughs> maybe too. maybe not I don't know we'll talk about all aspects of that film yes. but it's definitely something where we've like gone back and forth with Along Came Polly it, it's, a, it's a lot of people's I know like my aunt it's one of her favorite films and it's not I, I get people who don't necessarily like it but we'll get on into all that next week um also, check out all the other... We alluded to a lot of them today and talked about a lot of them. Check out the other great shows on the Cage Club Network, cageclub.me. Thanks so much for listening. Share, like, follow, subscribe. Tell your friends. Comment. Maybe next week, maybe the week after, we'll go through more of your fun comments. We've been getting some great ones. And always, stay uncool. I needed you